Well, open your Bibles if you have them. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15, we'll be looking at verse 1 and following. We'll be reading all the way to verse 11 this evening. As you make your way there in your Bibles, we're continuing to walk through the life and the ministry of Jesus. As we find ourselves in the current section, from chapter 13 on to chapter 17, this current section is often referred to as the upper room discourse. Jesus is spending some of the final hours that he has left with his disciples. This is the night before his crucifixion. And as he spends some quality times with his disciples, his focus is no longer on the crowds, it's now on the few. And uh, as he ministers to them, as we've been walking through this section up to chapter 15, uh, Jesus had made some predictions. Not just concerning predictions to his disciples, but shocking predictions. In chapter 13, he told his disciples, one of you will betray me. All of the disciples were a bit perplexed by that. And they said, who could it be? Of course, we know it's Judas. Another prediction he makes that's not just concerning, but shocking is uh, Jesus is about to leave them. He's about to depart from them. And he says, where I go, you cannot come. That's shocking. And so in chapter 14, if there was someone who needed to be comforted, it probably be Jesus, but Jesus comforts his disciples. If you recall, he comforts them in chapter 14 with the promise of heaven. He says in chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And then he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. What a comfort that would have been to his disciples. He comforts them with the promise of heaven. He comforts them with the promise of salvation. Salvation, the means by which you get to heaven. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not just the promise of heaven and salvation through him, but the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says on multiple occasions all throughout the gospel that he is an extension of the words and the works of the Father. But he also reveals something else in chapter 14. He tells his disciples, as we learn, that his disciples are an extension of his work. And the works that they do will be even greater than the work that Christ has done while he is on the earth. How is that possible through prayer and through the enablement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is about to depart. Yes, Jesus is about to leave his disciples. And this process begins with the betrayal of Judas. But know this and take heart. As disciples, we've been given his Holy Spirit, which enables us and empowers us. We have the promise of salvation through Jesus. And we have the assurance of heaven as he goes to prepare a place for us. Well, as we turn the page to chapter 15, having given these predictions that were not just concerning, but shocking, having comforted them with these promises and these assurances, as we turn the page to chapter 15, he gives some helpful, very important instructions. He instructs his disciples on their relationship with him in verses 1 to 11. That's what we're going to cover today. But as we continue on in the weeks to come, in verses 12 to 17, he's going to instruct them on their relationship with one another, with fellow believers, and then he's going to instruct them in regards to their relationship to the world in verses 18 to 27, but our focus today is on verses 1 to 11 as we consider how we are instructed to stay connected to Jesus. 
this text is so helpful for us because often, day by day, we find ourselves distracted, disconnected. We find ourselves in the midst of the circumstances of life and we lose focus on what we should be focused on. How do we stay connected to Christ? Jesus gives us very specific instructions as we consider the question, what do these instructions reveal about who Jesus is? Let's go ahead and read the text, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. How do we stay connected to Christ? Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. As we read our text together, chapter 15, in these first 11 verses, we consider how are we to stay connected to Christ. Jesus gives us very specific instructions. First, we are to stay connected to Christ by understanding the metaphor that he uses, the metaphor of, of a vineyard. Now, in this vineyard, there are different pieces that make up the metaphor and the significance behind it. You have the vine, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. You have the vine dresser or the gardener, the one who cares for the vineyard. That is the father. My father is the vine dresser. And not until verse 5 do we learn about the third piece, which is the branches. And Jesus says, I am the vine. You, speaking of his disciples, are the branches. But as we introduce this metaphor in the first few verses, we get to see that Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Now, this metaphor may not be as familiar to you and me in today's day and age, but it was very familiar to those in the first century. Now, the familiarity comes not just from the fact that there were plentiful vineyards in the first century, but because this was a common metaphor in the Old Testament. The metaphor of a vineyard and a vine was often used to refer to Israel in the Old Testament. In Psalm. Uh, in Psalm, it says, chapter 80, verse 8, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. And so Israel is described as a vine, a vineyard that's planted in the promised land. And the, the reason the father plants it in the promised land is in order that it would bear much fruit. That the nation of Israel would transform the world with the word and point all people to the one true God. That was the purpose for Israel, but 
Also, all throughout the Old Testament, whenever you hear about Israel referred to as a vine and and as a vineyard, it's always uh, used there to describe Israel's failure to do what it was called to do to be fruitful. Every time, whether it's in Hosea, Ezekiel, whether it's in Isaiah, every time you see Israel referred to as a vine, it speaks of her failure to be fruitful. But where Israel fails, Christ succeeds. And Jesus makes a very significant statement here as people are reminded of this very familiar metaphor that Israel is the vine. If you want spiritual life, if you want spiritual vitality, if you want to be fruitful, don't stay connected to Israel, stay connected to Christ. And so Jesus makes a very significant statement here. He says, I am the true vine. I am the one Israel points to. And where Israel failed, Christ succeeds. Jesus says, I am the true vine. There's I am statements all throughout John's gospel. This is the seventh. This is the final I am statement that we read. Now, all throughout John's gospel, the significance of these I am statements reveal to us who Jesus is. And these statements are important, and we review them again and again, because I want you, if you haven't already, to write them down. And if you haven't written them down, to memorize them, because as you have opportunity to chat with individuals, you have an opportunity to share with them who Jesus is. And some people will try to twist scripture, and they'll tell you, no, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus is not truly the Christ. Maybe he was a man, maybe he was a prophet. No, Jesus is the great I am. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says in the same way that bread satisfies physical hunger, I will satisfy your spiritual hunger. I'll satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus says this world is full of darkness. And people are wandering around in the darkness trying to take hold of this philosophy, that religion, trying to find ultimate meaning and purpose. And Jesus says, I will enlighten you to the truth and I will lead you to salvation. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. He who enters by me shall be saved and he shall go in and out and shall find pasture. Jesus says, I'm the door that leads to salvation. I'm the door that leads to the abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. We go to John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus says, as before he raises Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then in the last chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And now we come to this statement, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the one who provides spiritual life. You stay connected to him, you will be fruitful. You will not just bear fruit, you will bear much fruit. What is the significance of these I am statements? They show us who Jesus is. 
John says at chapter 20, verse 31, I write these things. There are many miracles Jesus did, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As Jesus makes these I am statements, do you believe he is who he claimed to be? Because the invitation of the gospel is to believe that Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth, who died on a cross, rose again three days later, and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who will receive him. And in this final I am statement, Jesus once again shows himself to be the Messiah, shows himself to be the Christ, shows himself to be the Son of God. He says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Now, in all of the other I am statements, it's only focused on the second person of the Trinity. It's only focused on Jesus. But this final I am statement also includes the Father. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the, I'm the authentic one. I'm the genuine one. I am the one Israel pointed to. I'm the fulfillment of these things. And then he says, my Father is the vine dresser. What's the vine dresser do? He's the gardener. He's the one who cares for the vineyard. He's intimately involved with Christ in his church. If the vine is Christ, then the, then the branch is connected to the vine. And we're going to read about in verse 5 are the disciples of Christ, those who are a part of the church. And so if the father is the vine dresser, he is intimately involved with Christ and his church. He's the vine dresser. Now, we read about just how involved the vine dresser is by taking a look at a text like Isaiah chapter 5, where Israel failed to fulfill what the call for her was to do. It says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. This is speaking just of how involved the, the vine dresser is, the gardener is. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it, so he expected it to bring forth good grapes. Now, this is speaking of Israel here, but I want you to stay focused on how intimately involved the gardener is. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes, rotten fruit? And now, please, let me tell you what I do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. A very familiar metaphor. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug. That's the judgment placed upon the vineyard, who's speaking of Israel. But there shall come up briars and thorns. He's not going to care for it. He's not going to prune it. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for the Father, in our metaphor in John chapter 15, uh, the Father is described as the vine dresser who's intimately involved with Christ, who is the vine, and his church, who are the branches. 
And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the, the vine dresser. And then we continue to read. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So how does the vine dresser care for his vineyard? He, he wants to make it as fruitful as possible. And if you want to make the, the, the vine the, as fruitful as possible, you do one of two things. You, you cut out that which is dead and you cut down that which is living. And so the, the, the father, in order to make it as fruitful as possible, cuts out uh, that which is taking up a room but is not truly connected and he's the one who also cuts down, prunes that which is fruitful. Let me talk about the first one. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, he takes away. Now, some scholars will tell you don't read too much into, don't read too much into the, the metaphor. But when you read a text like this, you can't help but consider what it's saying here when it's saying, um, uh, he, he cuts off those things. In the immediate context, do you know of anyone who was connected to Christ or looked very connected to Christ for three years of Jesus' ministry but wasn't truly connected and he was actually cut off, thrown into the fire? There was a guy, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, you know. All of these 12 are following Jesus for, for 12 years. He calls each one of them, you know, leave what you're doing and, and come follow after me. And Judas is one of those 12 who follows after Jesus. He hears the messages of Jesus. He sees the miracles of Jesus. He hears the words, the life-giving words of Jesus. He sees the works of Jesus. And Judas is a good example of a man and a reminder that you can be under the greatest teacher in the world and still not be truly saved. And yet Judas is a man whom Jesus is with on you know, just his final hours, and he says, one of you will betray me. And all the disciples looking at each other, is it me, Lord? Is it me? It, it, they don't even know it's Judas. He's so connected to Christ. He looks as if he's genuine, but the reality is he's not, and that which is not genuine is cut off. Who does that? The Father takes care of that. He cuts off that which is not genuine, but also the text tells us in verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You gotta ask the question, are you connected to Christ? Because if you're truly connected to Christ, you'll, the result is you, you'll bear fruit. If you're not truly connected to Christ, you will not bear fruit. Sometimes time will tell. Well, as we take a look at the text, it says he, he fruit, he prunes that, it, he, well, that, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it, may, that it may bear more fruit. To prune it is to cut it down, not cut it off, to cut it down in order that it can be more fruitful. Now, sometimes we'll go out to the rose gardens and when it's not in season for those roses to bloom, what do you see the gardeners doing? They're cutting down. You look at it, you're like, this looks terrible. I mean, it's just a, looks like a stump and a, and a couple, couple branches coming out of it. But then in season, it starts to bloom in a very beautiful way, and it becomes a lot more fruitful. Now, we're talking about, about that which bears much fruit in regards to, 
to, to grapes, you know, you're thinking of a nice, juicy clump of grapes. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about that which is fruitful. But, but the manner in which he makes us as fruitful as possible is by means of pruning us. And pruning can be painful. Pruning can be painful. If there is something in your life as a believer and as a Christian, the Father lovingly cuts it out of us. And can I tell you, it's painful. Uh, we read about a, a text in Matthew 5, 29 to 30 and 18. Let me read to you 5, 29 to 30 about how painful it is. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. You ever have a wandering eye and then take a fork and just pop that in there? That's what we're talking about here. Pop that in there. It says, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You got wandering hands taking things you shouldn't. I learned in, in elementary school, one of my friends, he went to the store and he says, he said, hey, I got this for real cheap. I said, oh, how much did you get it for? He said, a five-finger discount. I said, what's that? You got a five-finger discount. That, that arm gets cut off. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And if your right hand causes you to cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. Matthew 18, 8 to 9. Let me read that. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast in the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Pruning is painful. Now, what is Jesus talking about there? He's using what we know as hyperbole. He's emphasizing how serious sin truly is that it should be treated seriously. He said, better to cut off your hand than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Better to pluck out your eye with a fork, pull it out, and throw it off from you so that you may avoid hell. How do you deal with sin? How does the Father prune us not by dealing with the fruit, whether it's rotten or whether it's good, but by dealing with the root? It's one thing to try to change behavior. It's another thing to change the heart. And can I suggest it's even more painful for God to cut out certain things in our hearts, certain desires, affections that lead to certain actions and certain attitudes that should not be in our life. And it is painful, but it's necessary. Although Father, he prunes us. Pruning is painful, but pruning is also practical. Pruning is practical. What are practical ways that the Father prunes us? One way is relationships. When I got married, I wasn't just, well, when I said yes to my wife, I now have to please her and not just myself, you know? I wake up every morning, I'm not just thinking about me, now I have to think about her, think about her needs. Sometimes I'm tired and she asks me to do something and I think to myself, oh man, this is one more step away from myself, you know? I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to I sleep when I want to sleep. I want to go out to the grocery store. I want to go hang out with my friends when I want to go hang out. But then I get married and I learn, nope, you can't live for yourself alone. You now have to live for someone else. Relationships, marriages are highly sanctifying. They expose certain areas of my heart, attitudes that I did not know that I had. 
I thought I didn't have to deal with anger until someone made me angry, right? I mean, relationships are quite sanctifying. That's when marriage is. And then you have children, right? Oh, man. I thought I, you know, I thought I was pretty a patient person, but then you're not just married, but then you, you, have, you have, a, have one child, two child, then three children. You learn how impatient you truly are. And what relationships will do it will bring out in you areas of your flesh that you didn't realize you had. Difficult circumstances don't bring out what's in your heart. They reveal what's already there. And God uses those relationships to to sanctify us. You know how else he, he, pruning can be practical is, is by the consequences of sin. When you're walking in sin and you see the destruction it brings to your life, the death it ultimately brings, hopefully, by the work of the word and the Holy Spirit in your heart, you say, no more. I'm not going to move in that direction anymore. I'm not going to take that path anymore. I'm changing my mind, changing my direction. I'm going to follow the path of Christ that leads to life, the abundant life. And so he uses relationships, consequences of sin. I always think of Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We think of that in terms of theological terms and in salvation, that should be true, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. Well, sin breeds destruction and ultimately brings forth death. You allow sin to enter into your marriage, just little bits of sin, selfishness. Pride, infidelity, a wandering eye, and that will not just bring destruction, it can ultimately bring death. You don't just have to hear the theological idea here, for the wages of sin is death, yeah, an eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is everlasting life. You've experienced the consequences of sin. You've seen the destruction it brings. Maybe not in your life, you've seen it even in others where death is the ultimate consequence thereof. So the consequences of sin and and also uh, God prunes us through our hardships, through our difficulties, through painful circumstances. Uh, James chapter one, verses two to four says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You don't rejoice for the trials, you rejoice for the results the trials bring. Thank you, God, that despite the fact that I have to deal with this painful circumstance or this hardship, I know that it's going to make me more patient and it's going to make me more like you. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, and we know all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. How is it that God works all things for our good and for his glory by making us more like Jesus? Good things, bad things, it's all for him. And so we're reminded of that. And so... Just a helpful reminder, God uses pruning, and pruning is not just painful, pruning is also very practical. As we continue to read verse 3, it says this, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them, you've already been pruned, you've already been cleaned, 
and the means by which you've been clean. My pruning knife is my word. And so we've talked about practical ways God prunes us through our relationships, through hardships, through the consequences of sin. But the primary ways by which we are pruned, that pruning knife is the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. You open the word of God in a devotional time, it exposes sinful tendencies in your heart, attitudes, actions, affections that are outside of his will and outside of his word, and God convicts us, and through the work of the word and the spirit sanctifies us. And so the word of God is the very thing that sanctifies us. He prunes us with his word. So I, in devotional time and if you're in a Bible study, if you're on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, what a wonderful thing to allow the word of God to shine into your heart and say, God, if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of the everlasting. Uh, and so how are we to stay connected to Christ? By understanding this metaphor, we see these different pieces. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. How does he care for his vineyard? He, he prunes and he also cuts away, but also cuts out that which does not belong. And so what does this tell us about who Jesus is? Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the source that brings life. Jesus is the source that will allow you to walk in fruitful living, the one we are to stay connected to. Um, I just wanted to give us a few takeaways uh, regarding how the Father cares for us through pruning. The first one is this pruning reminds us that, uh, that God loves us. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't prune you. When we read about, uh, it, read about it in Isaiah chapter 5, the judgment of God upon Israel who's described as a vineyard, the judgment in verse six is, I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug. If, 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 if the father's no longer interested in pruning your life, he doesn't really love you. God, God prunes those he loves. His pruning reminds you of his love for him, That's his love for you. Pruning, secondly, reminds us that God is near us. Have you ever watched someone prune a plant, a rose bush. I mean, they're intimately involved with it. When we get pruned, we tend to think, God, where are you at in all of this? Why do I have to go through these difficulties and these circumstances? Why, why, why is their life so good? Why, why am I being put through all of this pain and all of this hardship? The Father is most near, nearest to you when he is pruning you. And so don't think the Father is not near you. He is near you in times of pruning because he is the one doing it. Thirdly, pruning reminds us that we are still under construction. We're not yet complete. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous. We've been placed in a right standing before God. The moment you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you were declared righteous. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the perfection of Christ because Christ paid for your sin on that cross as substitutionary atonement. But you are also in the process of sanctification, looking more like Jesus every day. And one day you will be glorified and you will be like Jesus. What a wonderful reminder. That is, pruning reminds us that we're still under construction. Philippians 1.6 says, 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, pruning reminds us of the sufficiency of Scripture to cleanse us. How does God prune us through his word? Jesus tells his disciples, you are already cleansed. They have been cleansed by his word. God's word is sufficient for pruning. You have a bad habit in your life or your heart. God's word is sufficient. You have some troubles in your life that you need to deal with. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But don't miss the next verse. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is sufficient in cleansing you and cleansing me. We think, oh, well, I need this or I need that advice. Uh, Perhaps this will help. Uh, Reality is God's word is sufficient for us. If I could bring us in to the discussion, what would you say is holding back most Christians from living a more fruitful life? What's hindering most Christians from living a more fruitful life, the kind of fruitful life God intended for us as believers? Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. So having our foot in two worlds, you just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? What hinders us? Yeah, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. We're not trusting the Lord, or maybe it's trusting ourselves, and um, we don't grow. We don't mature. We don't bear fruit. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, our eyes, we lose focus on Christ and we find ourselves looking at things in the world and um, we get disconnected. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, whenever we're not in the word, taking some time in prayer, when we neglect those spiritual disciplines, you get disconnected from Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Any other ways you, you, you get disconnected? From the vine? Yeah, Kevin. Yeah. So, yeah. So when we're walking in habitual disobedience and sin, that hinders our walk from the Lord. And uh, walking in obedience keeps us connected. To the vine, keeps us connected to Christ, yeah. 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 So just small compromises in our spiritual life slowly, slowly erodes our, our fruitful living and our witness for Christ. Yeah, a lot of things in the world that keep us 
from being as fruitful as God calls us to be. We're called to, to bear fruit, stay connected to him. And so um, how are we instructed to stay connected to Christ? Understanding the metaphor, understanding the pieces of the vineyard. Christ is the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for his vineyard. He's intimately involved in, in, with, in, with Christ and his church. He cares for Christ and his church. Uh, secondly, by means of abiding. The means, the means by which we stay connected to Christ is simply by abiding. Verse 4 tells us this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I want you to pay very careful attention to the imperative and the command in the text. The command is not given to us to be fruitful. The command is given to us to abide. Sometimes as Christians we can be so focused on the fruit that we miss the whole point of how to get fruitful. The, 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 the result is the fruit. The command is simply to abide. Uh, this morning, before I had a chance to bring the word to you, I, I brought a devotional to my daughters. I tend to do that for breakfast on Wednesday mornings. And as I was talking with my girls, I said, I was sharing with them the vineyard, about the vineyard and the true vine. And I said, have you ever seen a branch? How does a branch bear fruit? What does it have to do to bear fruit, to, to be fruitful? And one of my daughters said, it just stays there. That's right. <laughs> have you ever seen a branch? Oh, I mean, try to work really hard to bear fruit. Like, oh, I'm going to bear fruit today. May not have happened yesterday, but today is the day I'm going to bear fruit. Oh, you know, you, you, you don't see that. The manner in which a branch bears fruit is simply by abiding. Simply by remaining. And the command is very straightforward. The command is very simple. Our focus is not on the Bearing fruit, our focus is simply connecting to Christ. You abide in me, Jesus says, and I will abide in you. As we stay connected to the true vine, he provides the life-giving sap that provides us the nourishment we need to bear fruit. So Jesus says, abide in me, just remain in me, stay in me. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is stay connected to Christ. You wake up in the morning, all you have to do is stay connected to Christ. People always say this, I've been trying and trying and trying, just can't break this bad habit. Every day, I've been working hard. I've been trying, 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 trying to be a, a better Christian. Abide, remain in him, and you will bear fruit. Uh, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought you know, someone once told the story of a, an elephant who was crossing a large bridge and, and a mouse jumped on the back of the elephant and as the elephant was walking across the bridge the entire bridge shook with every step Thump, thump, thump. And after the, the, the elephant crossed the bridge, the mouse declared, wow, didn't we shake that bridge? You know, sometimes we're so connected to, to Christ that we take credit for, for what he's provided. Oh, wow. 
Look at my ministry. Take a look at the fruit that, 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 that's coming out of my life. Take a look at my, my discipline and take a look at, at, at how God is using me so powerfully when the reality is, listen, you're just the mouse. You're just the branch. You just stay connected to the vine. The vine is the one who's providing the life-giving sap. You are just a branch. You know, that is a helpful reminder, especially in regards to salvation. We tend to say it this way, I found God. I found him. You know, when I reached rock bottom, the reality is he found us. We read about it all throughout scripture. John chapter six, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up the last day. You didn't find him, he found you. And he's the one who even gave you the desire while you were in the pit of depravity to lift your hand to him as he pulled you up. He gave you the faith to believe in him. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't have a reason to boast in our salvation because of ourselves. We have a reason to boast in our salvation because of Christ. Romans 8.30 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. If he is the reason for our salvation in regards to our justification, how much more is he the cause for our ongoing sanctification? How much more is he the cause for the fruit that we continue to produce? If not for the sake of the Lord, we are nothing. You can do nothing if you're not connected to the vine. And then if that is humbling at all, he now introduces the third piece of the metaphor. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for the vine. He's the one who cares for the vineyard. Now it says, how do we fit into it? All you are is a twig. <laughs> He's the vine. The father's the vine dresser. You and I, were the branches. We're just a twig that's connected. And by the grace of God, the father picks up this twig, connects us to the source that bears spiritual life. <laughs> and we are able not just to bear fruit, we are able to bear much fruit. Oh, but the grace of God. What a humbling thing to know I'm just a branch. He goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gathered them and threw them into the fire and they are burned. Um, when you think of a, a vine and this kind of wood, this kind of wood was good for a couple different things. It was good for bearing fruit. It was good for burning, for warmth, but it wasn't good for building. You talk about these branches, they're not good for building. They're good for, for bearing fruit, they're good for burning, but, but they're not good for building. <laughs> we read about that in Ezekiel 15, it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch which is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make any object, or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on? 
Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it and its middle is burned. Is it useful for any work? Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? We're branches. And all we're good for is bearing fruit or burning, not for building. As a branch, just stay connected to Christ. And those who are truly connected to Christ, the result is you will bear fruit. So how do we stay connected to Christ? By abiding. Jesus, who is he? He's the true vine. He's the true vine whom the the Father cares for, along with the church, the branches that are connected to it. Jesus is also the true vine in whom we abide. We simply remain. It's very simple, folks. The Christian life is very simple. It's not a long list of rules that you have to obey. Abiding is not about obeying a long list of rules to obey. If it was... We're done for. <laughs> How many of us in our own power, in our own ability, you, you try to obey a long list of legalistic rules, you will fall short again and again. The Christian life is about trusting. It's about remaining in Jesus Christ. And so we are called to, to stay connected. The Schofield Reference Bible says this about abiding. To abide in Christ is on the one hand to have no known sin unjudged and unconfessed, no interest into which he is not brought, no life which he cannot share. On the other hand, the abiding one takes all burdens to him and draws all wisdom, life, and strength from him. It is unceasing. Um, it is not, not unceasing consciousness of these things and of him, but that nothing is allowed in the life which separates from him. Abiding is just simply being connected to Christ. And lastly, uh, abiding is about giving God the credit. (laughs) You're just the mouse on the top of the elephant. You've done nothing to shake the bridge. (laughs) It's all about him. Now, we're connected to him. Praise be to God that he works in us and through us and remains and, and uses us, makes us useful but even as, a twi- even as a branch, what a wonderful thing that if we're connected to him, it doesn't matter what's against us if he is for us. Can I invite us in for discussion? What are practical and helpful ways you have learned to abide in Christ as he abides in you? What does it look like to simply remain, simply stay connected? Practical ways. Yeah. Yeah. Continuing faithfully in his word, seeing its importance. Yeah, staying connected to the Lord in prayer. So we said the things that get in the way of our connection, how do we stay connected? How do we, how do we remain Oh yeah, uh, having a grateful heart and an attitude of gratitude, it goes a, a long ways. Count our blessings and name them one by one. It keeps us connected to the source. And it reminds us that it's not because of us, it's because of, of him. He gets all the credit, yeah. Oh yes, fellowship with fellow believers. Uh, it's an encouragement to come around the people of God because where two or three are gathered, we know that text, he is... They're with us. 
and we stay connected to him. Yeah. Anything else? Any, any practical ways? I mean, in your season of life right now, like things change, right? Like when you're in different seasons of life, uh, you stay connected in different ways. Sometimes that prayer time is, is in the morning. Sometimes it's in the afternoon. Sometimes it's a quick one-minute devotional when you have time to cover your head and, and dig into the word. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. And I think he says it in our text here. That's somewhere. Yeah. So it's not just uh, there. Yeah, Vicki. Yeah. Having accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, having a trans- uh, ongoing transparency in someone who can... Speak into your life and hold you accountable. Keeps us connected. Keeps us connected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, serving with our gifts in the church. And uh, uh, the spirit works in and through us. And that's indeed fruitful living as we step out and serve with the gifts God has given us. Yeah, so good. I don't know about you. I want to be a fruitful husband. I want to be a fruitful father. I want to be a fruitful minister of the word of God. And to be fruitful means I've got to stay connected to Christ. If you want to be fruitful as a follower of Christ, it's, it's about staying connected to him. You see the importance of prayer. Prayer is not just a, a discipline we, we go through because we're supposed to do it, but we recognize we're calling upon the all-powerful God who can work in and through our lives and can make a way where there is no way. And so we connect with him through prayer. We connect with him through his word. I mean, his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's living. We fellowship with the body of Christ. And where his people are there, he is as well. And we want to stay connected to him. And when you recognize how important that is, I can't miss my devotional time each day. I can't live without the Lord. I can't miss the gathering of the people of God together. You know, I've got to discipline myself in that. That's a top priority for me and my family. We're going we're gonna to prioritize that. We need to stay connected to Christ. In terms of prayer as a family, there are going to be times where, where we got to set aside. I know we're all busy, but there are times when we need to get around the table. Maybe it's just a quick prayer uh, for dinner at night, but we're going to make it happen because we need to stay connected to Christ. We want to be fruitful in all things. So stay connected to Christ as, as you continue, uh, as we continue to read, we stay connected to Christ, not just by understanding the metaphor and abiding, uh, but also by enjoying the benefits, the benefits as we keep reading. Verse seven, it says this, 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Well, the benefits of abiding is that when we ask, and we're, of course we're asking in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's word, uh, the fruit that comes out of that is answered prayer. It's always a good thing if you have an opportunity. Sometimes people call it, you know, uh, journaling. Uh, you don't have to call it journaling if, if that doesn't sound desirable to you. Just write down your prayer requests. And then when you have an opportunity, next time you check that prayer request, uh, check off how God has answered it. Maybe it's yes, maybe it's no, maybe it's wait, but take time to document the answered prayer in your life. Take time to write down what God uh, is doing in your life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. How do we abide? Abide in his word. As his word abides in us. Then we know how to pray according to his will. And when we pray according to his will, we know we have it. And God gives us answers to our prayers. Verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. You know, when we're fruitful, when we're living a fruitful life and, and being whom God called us to be, it glorifies the Father. Not only is the benefit answered prayer, the benefit is God's glory. We exist to glorify God. We exist to honor, glorify Him. That's why we exist. So whenever you are living a fruitful life, He is glorified. What, you, you know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control, I probably missed a couple in there, but uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, when you are producing that fruit, God is glorified. God is glorified. It says, by this my Father is glorified. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There it is, Sandy. <laughs> as my, the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The Father loves Christ in, in that same way Christ loves us. A wonderful thought, wonderful reminder how much we are loved. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we abide in his love? By obeying him. If we truly love him, we'll do what he says. We'll walk in obedience to his word. A lot of times we say, yes, God, we love you. We sing songs of praises. God, we worship and adore you. We, we come to Sunday morning and we come under the teaching of his word. But is our Sunday morning worship reflected in our Monday morning lifestyle? You know, it's very easy to come under the teaching of the word and then hear it and then Walk in the flesh. We're called to show our love for God by the way we live, the way we walk. Uh, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. When you're living a fruitful life, when the Spirit of God is working in and through you, it's a joyful thing. You're full of joy. You can kind of tell who a Christian is because I mean, there's joy on their face. They're, they're, they're just overflowing with joy. I think of fruitful living when I think of Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That's a man who's connected. And whose hope is 
the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. I think this is a good picture of what it looks like. Which spreads out its roots by the river. And will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green. And will not be anxious in the year of drought. Nor will cease from yielding fruit. Jesus is the true vine. Who when we stay connected to him. We enjoy the benefits of answered prayer. We enjoy the benefits of giving God all the glory, honor, and praise. We enjoy the benefit of experiencing what true fullness of joy is all about. As we, like a tree, are planted by the rivers of water. Yeah, sometimes the sun is scorching. Sometimes drought comes. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. May we stay connected to him. Can we pray? Father. We thank you for uh, the reminder that we're just branches. And as branches, you are the vine. You are the one who provides life-giving sap that makes us fruitful. Not just makes us fruitful, you make us very much fruitful. We bear much fruit as we stay connected to you. Father, there are many things in our life that can be distracting. There are many things that can keep us disconnected. And Father, you know those things in our hearts and our lives that, are, that is hindering us from bearing as much fruit as, as, as you design us to, to desire us to. And so, Father, we pray that you would remove those things. We pray, Lord, that you would prune us, that you would cut out of our lives those things that don't belong. And that, Father, as we stay connected to you, you'd guide and direct us and allow us to live fruitful lives. I pray, Father, that we would be fruity people, Father, as, as uh, in our marriages, Lord, that husbands would exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That wives would exhibit the same fruit in their marriages. We pray, Father, for for, for, for individuals that make up our church to be very fruitful. And Lord, that as we go about producing this fruit, we give you all the glory, all the honor. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.